Amen. As we move into our time of looking to God's word, I want to welcome those at Reach Church DeSoto, the venue service down the hall. But I want to lead us in a time of prayer this morning. Um, certainly this week with the election coming up and many events occurring this week with prayer vigils, uh, both here at the church and at various places, I thought it would be appropriate for us this morning, just as the body of Christ, to pray. And so, um, wherever you're at in this room or in the venue service or at Reach Church, um, we're just going to pray. I, I'm going to get on my knees this morning. Just um, You know that the position of your prayer doesn't make your prayer more effective, but sometimes in a demonstration, a physical way of our spiritual condition of our heart, we position ourselves to demonstrate to God how desperately we need him. And certainly this week, we need divine intervention. We need God to move in a powerful way. And so I, I'm going to get on my knees. If you're comfortable, don't feel any pressure at all. Please, that's not my intention. But if you'd like to, uh, you, I know these, uh, these seats in this room aren't necessarily good for doing that. But if you want to come here at the front or wherever, however you feel comfortable, I just want to share with you what I'm going to do. We just want to plead with God to move this week. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to get here. You position yourself however you'd like to do so. But I want to lead us in a time of prayer. Father God, as we come before you this morning, we, we do so very humbly. We recognize you're the God of all creation, Lord of heaven and earth. We hum, we're humbled that you, that you would take thought of us, as the psalmist said, what is man that you're mindful of them, or the son of man that you care for them, yet made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor and put all things in subjection to their feet. God. We're overwhelmed that the God of all creation, the one who spoke everything into existence, would care for us, would know us and love us individually. But we are grateful that through Christ, we have the opportunity to come before you this morning to cry out, Abba, Father, to have access to you, not on the basis of our own merit, but on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And we come to you on the basis of Christ through faith in him, and we plead with you to move this week. Specifically, as it relates to the value of the both amendment, Lord, we pray you would move. We need divine intervention, God. We're pleading with you on behalf of an issue that we know is dear to your heart, the life of the unborn, the baby that grows in the womb. There should be no safer place on earth than the safety of a mother's womb. We know that child that grows in the womb is a life that is infinitely valuable to you. God, we pray that you would move this week on behalf of the unborn to protect life, and I pray that you would use us, that we as your people would get out and vote and avail ourselves of the great privilege that we have to participate in our government system. God, to speak on behalf of those who can't speak for themselves by casting a vote. Lord, but at the end of the day, we're asking you to do what only you can do. And we declare to you today, regardless of the outcome, we will remain faithful. We will fight the good fight, as Paul says. 
We will fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And we will continue to stand for the unborn. And we will continue to cherish life from conception to natural death. Lord, we will preach the truth and the gospel. We'll ask you to move. Lord, we pray with anticipation. We know that nothing is beyond you. Nothing is impossible with you. So God, please. Would you move this week on our behalf? Use us, Lord. Help us to be bold and courageous. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to continue to encourage you to pray and vote. Um, there are, as I said earlier, there are many opportunities to pray. There are many vi prayer vigils um, here at our church on Tuesday and throughout the week, and I want to encourage you to engage in those as you have opportunity, because we do believe in the power of prayer. Well, as we come to God's Word this morning, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I want to encourage you to open it to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. I know that's not the verses that I advertised, but I decided to call an audible, which I reserve the right to do, and... Uh, but I did this for a specific reason. This evening, we have a special time as a church. We're going to have a business meeting at 5 p.m. And then at 5.30, we're going to ordain uh, two men to ministry. One, Pastor Nick Swearingen, and the other, Pastor David McLaughlin. And it'll be a special time for us as a church to affirm the call that God has. We didn't call these men to ministry. God called them. We as a church, we're going to affirm that call that God has placed on their lives. And we're going to lay hands on these men and pray for them and charge them and challenge them. But I thought as we did that, or before we did that, it would be good for us to look at what God has to say about the preacher. What is God's job description for the pastor, not just the pastor, but for those that stand in the pulpit and say, thus saith the Lord. And I don't know that there's a better passage in all of God's word than the words of Paul to Timothy. These are some of Paul's final words. History tells us he was martyred not long after these words were written. Very end of his life and He's going to solemnly charge Timothy in an area where he can't afford to miss. And although this passage speaks specifically, if I can speak this more specifically to pastors, preachers, it has relevance for all of us. Uh, because if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, we've all been given the mission to make disciples and to be Christ's witnesses, to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us, which is Christ, to be able to preach the gospel. And so this is a charge, but believe me, it has relevance for all of us. So you can't go to sleep and you can't leave. We already locked the doors. You can't get out, all right? So you're stuck here. Um, but this is all, this good for all of us to hear. It's dangerous for me because this is my job description. So I'm inviting you into my job review this morning. And if you have critiques, send it to the personnel committee. I know they'll be grateful to hear from you. Uh, that's a joke. Come, yeah, yeah, come on. I know it's a tough week, but come on. Give me something this morning. All right. All right. Let's, let's read this passage together, though. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 8. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke. Exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, 
Be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who love his appearing. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you to bless it this morning. Speak to us by means of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul gives Timothy one basic charge, but I think included in that is three real commands that he gives to Timothy as he embarks, as he's passing a baton, the the baton of faith, as Paul sees the the remaining days is short. He's passing on, on the baton of faith to this preacher of God's word, and I think he gives him three main commands. Number one, the, the first one's very obvious. You see it in verses one and two. But the biblical preacher, the biblical preacher must preach God's word. He says, I solemnly charge you in verse one, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. I solemnly, Paul says, I solemnly charge you. He's charged him with a lot of things, but he only uses this phrase twice in his letters, his writings to Timothy. I solemnly charge you, meaning that Paul is saying to Timothy, I've given you a lot of things to do, but this one stands out. This is the area that you can't afford to miss on. And he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, meaning, Timothy, I'm giving you a charge, and God and Christ are witnesses. They're here as I I give you this charge, that this charge comes with the the full weight of divine authority. And not only that, but it comes with the full weight of accountability, that you're going to be judged. You you receive this charge in the presence of Christ who's going to judge you. That God and Christ, they're witnessing this, and you'll be held accountable. Every preacher, every pastor who stands in the pulpit must live with the constant awareness that they'll be held to a stricter judgment. James 3.1 says, let not not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Before any man steps out into this role, they must face the reminder that their life and their ministry will, will be held to a greater level of scrutiny. Why would this be? In the Middle Ages, there were only two real classes of people there, the upper class and the lower class. You had the the military, the clergy, the royalty, that was the upper class, the lower class just being the vassals who kind of worked, worked the crops, worked the fields. But later on, there was the beginning of, of a middle class. And, and these were the people who did jobs that the upper class wouldn't do, and oftentimes the vassals, the lower class, couldn't do. These were the blacksmiths, the coppersmiths, the, the tradesmen, the, the barbers, the tailors. And what would happen within these trades is that you would have an apprenticeship for a given period of time. At the end of the apprenticeship, you would present a masterpiece of your trade and it would go through a test. If it passed the test, you'd get a hallmark and you could practice your trade within that hall. The shortest of all the apprenticeships was that of a barber. Barber has a very short two-week apprenticeship for the barber. Why? Your hair grows back. Me, not growing back like it used to. Uh, But it grows back, not a big deal. Barber, two-week deal. But there was an apprenticeship. In fact, the longest apprenticeship was for the diamond cutter. The diamond cutter had an apprenticeship of 20 years. Had to go through a strict test just to become a diamond cutter. Why? Why, why such a long period of time? Because the diamond cutter was dealing with what to them was 
the most precious commodity, the thing of greatest value. And if you messed up with this, this diamond, you were demolishing, you were doing, destroying something of great value. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. What is more valuable, a diamond or the eternal souls of men and women? The most deadly and serious of all the crafts are the, the men who stand in pulpits and put the Bible before them and interpret Scripture and say, thus saith the Lord. Because if the, if the pastor preacher get, gets this wrong, if they misinterpret or misapply God's word, they can put a person on a path to eternal destruction and God will hold them accountable. And so kind of having set the attitude of the command, then, then Paul tells him, preach the word in verse 2. Now, first of all, know what, notice what he does not say. He doesn't say, uh, get a response or gather crowds. Preach the word. The, the, the pastor preacher is not accountable for a response. He's simply accountable to preach the word of God, regardless of the response. Peter preached, and he had 3,000 converts Stephen preached and he got 3,000 stones. But both of them were faithful to the word of God. And in both situations, Christ was pleased. Preach the word. Preach the word. Paul gives Timothy a very narrow lane. That the pastor preacher, he's not a politician. He's not a self-help guru. He's not a business counselor. He's not an entertainer. He's to simply proclaim the truth of God's word. That this is not a time for me to give you a book review. This is not a time for me to give you my thoughts on what God is like. No, we simply preach the word. In fact, the word preach is the Greek word caruso, and it's, it's used of a, of a herald who would declare the edict of a king. The pastor preacher is simply to, to declare God's word as if God himself were speaking it. And then he says, be ready in season and out of season. What does this mean? In season and out of season. Well, it means that the preacher must be prepared in all seasons. The word of God is never out of season. I love this. We don't chase fads. We don't get caught up in culture and all those other things. You know, there's never been a fad for simply expositional preaching of the word of God. It's never gone out of style. All the way from Peter in Acts chapter 2 till today. Be ready in season and out of season. A doctor, if you're a doctor, they, they would use the phrase on call. If a doctor is on call, they, they, it means that when they get a call, they can't say, well, you know what? I'm tired, it's late, I just don't think I'm going to go in. No, that's not what it means to be on call. The pastor preacher is always on call. They're always ready to preach and to declare the truth of God's word. And then he tells them what it is. What does he mean by preach the word? Repu reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Reprove, it simply means to bring to the light, to reveal hidden things. That's what the truth of God's word does. It reveals the dark areas of our heart. It reveals the depth of our sinfulness, oftentimes that, that we can't see or we won't acknowledge on our own. Do you know the number one accountability that you have in your life? We talk a lot about accountability. You know the number one accountability that you have in your life is the Word of God. On your own, if you read the Word of God, I guarantee you, you will be reproved. 
God will expose areas in your life where you're living in sin. He'll reprove you. That's what the Word of God does. The Word of God is holding our lives up to the bright light of God's holiness and His truth. Reprove, but not only reprove, rebuke. This is a much stronger and pointed term than reprove. Reprove is the moral aspect of preaching where we declare you're wrong and you need to change. And listen, we all know this. None of us like to be reproved. I don't like to be reproved. And I certainly, I certainly don't like to be rebuked. None of us do. But it's necessary, isn't it? Sometimes we need to be rebuked. I love this. One of my men that I meet with on Thursday mornings, he shared this proverb that he said had been impactful in his life. And I loved it. I've read this proverb before, but it was just funny because he read it from the New International Version. My my NSB is a little different, but I love the NIV. Listen to what it says. Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Don't you love that? The person who doesn't want and never puts himself in a position where he's not rebuked is stupid. You know, if you're looking for advisors and counselors in your life, don't just choose people you like. Choose people who won't lie to you. Choose people who won't lie to you. If, if, you're, a, if you're in need of a physician and you have cancer, listen, you don't want a doctor who's just always going to tell you you're healthy. Hey, you're just healthy, you're fine. It may make you feel good, but that advice will eventually kill you. None of us enjoyed being told... But, that we're wrong, but, but rebuke is necessary if we want to grow and prosper in the Lord. And so the biblical preacher, he doesn't tell people what they want to hear. He simply tells them what God's word says. This is the word of God. He lets the word of God do the repro- reproving. He, do, he lets the word of God do the rebuking. As I have heard it said, that the preacher is, is not just juggling oranges. For the entertainment and the enjoyment of the audience, he's throwing javelins, calling men and women to obedience. He's preaching for a decision. And then he says, exhort with all patience and instruction. Exhort. I love this because the word of God should never just leave us bloody and dying on the battlefield. The word of God exhorts us. It lifts us up. It encourages us. The biblical preacher is not a man who just simply piles on guilt, but he's to encourage men and women on the base of the truth and the joy of God's righteousness, that the biblical preacher calls men and women to the joy of walking in obedience to God's word. It's similar when we preach to husbands and we say, husbands, love your wives as you love yourself. And it's convicting to us as husbands. It's a gut punch. Sometimes it convicts us. But the word of God just doesn't convict us and rebuke us. The word of God tells us how to live as biblical men and to enjoy obedience as we love our wives. It gives us some practical steps by which we improve and become the men that God has called us to be. And I thought of it this way, um, just because my son plays golf and he takes some lessons occasionally. But imagine if you, uh, you went to get some golf instruction and the golf instructor, he videoed your golf swing, just took a video of your golf swing And then he took the video of your golf swing and he lined it up side by side with the golf swing of Tiger Woods. And he said to you, you're horrible. This is what it should look like. 
This is what you look like. You're awful. You, you, you're not even near the standard. And then he said, now that'll be $100. Thank you for coming today. You'd be a little bit irritated, wouldn't you? Why? Because you don't want to just be told you're wrong. You want some practical steps to get better. But in that the beauty of God's word, it knocks us down, but it also builds us up. It says, yes, you're wrong, but here there's a better way to live. And it gives us practical steps to be the men and women that God called us to be. Exhort. Exhort with great patience and instruction. Patience, instruction, they're lumped together. You know, the patience, it's the Greek word macrothumeia. Macrothumeia, macro, great. Thumeia, sympathy, with great sympathy, with great patience, long-suffering, that the biblical preacher must be patient. He must be compassionate. Why? Because God is patient and compassionate with the preacher. That the preacher also knows what it is to struggle, that the word of God convicts men and women, but it also convicts the preacher, that the preacher knows what it is to be rebuked. He knows what it is to be reproved and to be exhorted and to be built back up. And therefore, he's sympathetic as he preaches and men and women struggle with sin. The biblical preacher is patient because God is patient with him. Listen, you know this. I, I confess to you, I, I know what it is to, to have conflict with my wife on the basis of my own sinfulness and to be rebuked by God's word. And to be corrected. And it's not fun. But I've walked through that. I know what it is to be convicted and rebuked as a parent. And to be called to a holy standard. And to struggle and seek to be better. And God has humbled me. And it shouldn't change the message. This doesn't change the message we preach. But it does change the heart with which we deliver the message. You know, one of the most dangerous things, and I speak from experience, I'm not speaking down to anybody, but even as I think back on my time of preaching, one of the most dangerous things is a young man who just graduates seminary, and he's got a ton of knowledge, but he's never been humbled. And if he's not careful, he can preach out of pride and he can't really care for the sheep, he beats the sheep on the basis of God's word. You know, one of the things that we look for in staff here, especially our pastoral staff, we got a rigorous interview process for our pastoral team. We love to bring guys up from within because we get to know them. But one of the final things that I'll always ask our guys is does he have a limp? Does he have a limp? Meaning, is this a man who's been broken by God? He knows what it is to be rebuked. He's been low and he's felt the word of God lift him and build him back up into the man that God has called him to be. Because I guarantee if he's got a limp like Jacob had a limp after wrestling with God, he will preach the truth of God's word, but he'll do so with a compassionate heart. I like to say it that when it comes to the truth of God's word, we gotta be strong as steel, but we also gotta have a little bit of rabbit fur on us that we're soft and compassionate when need be. You know, I got a doctor friend. Uh, he recently had very significant surgery, and he came back from that. He said, you know what? Every doctor ought to have to go through a significant surgery every six months <laughs> just so he can be reminded of what it's like to be a patient. 
I don't, you realize why they call it being a patient, because you're waiting all the time. And you gotta know what it's like to wear them gowns that are humbling. I mean, you just think they thought up the most humbling thing they could possibly make you wear. But the, pa- the doctor needs to be reminded what it is to be a patient. The preacher must always be reminded of what it is to be a patient. That God's working on him too. But listen, all of us in this room, myself included, we're all sheep. We're all patients and there's only one great physician and his name is Jesus. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience. So we get a picture, preach the word, always be ready. Reprove, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Can I just tell you this isn't easy? Because you know what I found most preachers, pastors, they're predisposed to be compassionate people. A lot of times a a man gets into the ministry because he wants to care for people. He loves encouraging the brokenhearted. He loves coming around those who are hurting. And a lot of times the preacher is a people person. And they care about what people think about them. And sometimes you gotta preach the word of God and you gotta know that some people aren't gonna like you. And you gotta be willing to say, I don't care because the only person I'm trying to please is God. And that's not easy, I'm just gonna tell you. Uh, The story that came to my mind is the story of Micaiah, the prophet Micaiah in 1 Kings 22. I love the story, I wish we had time to go there today. Jot it down, it's a great story. It'll make you laugh. I love God's word. In 1 Kings 22, Ahab, evil king, he, uh, he's awful. And he wants to go to war. He was always looking for a battle. And he gets with Jehoshaphat, who's a good king, young king. And he says, Jehoshaphat, let's go up against Ramoth Gilead. Let's go to war together. And Jehoshaphat says, well, that sounds good, but let's call the prophets together and see what they say. So they call 400 prophets all these guys paid workers of King Ahab. Guess what they say? It's all good, king, go for it. God will be with you. And Jehoshaphat, I think he's looking at these guys saying, I'm not sure I trust these guys. You had anybody else? And Ahab said, yeah, we got this one guy, but we don't invite him to state functions very often because he never prophesies good things. Always bad news. And Jehoshaphat says, I think I'd like to hear from you. So they send a messenger to get Micaiah. And I love this. I think of Micaiah, or the messenger is Micaiah's friend. And he goes to Micaiah and he's leading him back. And he says, listen, Micaiah, I'm just going to tell you, 400, pro- they're all unanimous. Don't rock the boat. Just go with it. Just go with it. And you know what Micaiah says? I will only say what the Lord tells me to say. He gets before Ahab. Can you imagine all the... The, the power of all that place, and there he is. He's got to proclaim the Lord's word. He's the one guy. And Ahab says, what's, what's the word? And very sarcastically, Micaiah says, go, God be with you. And Ahab said, I tell you, tell me the truth. Micaiah says, you want the truth? You're going to go into battle and you're going to die. The people are going to be scattered. And Ahab says, this is why we don't invite him often, you know? The guy is a downer. but that's the kind of moral courage that is needed in the pulpit. Regardless of how people respond, whether they like us or not, our job is not to tell people what they wanna hear, it's to tell them what God has said. 
and call men and women to change. Henry VIII, uh, evil king, he had a similar situation with Latimer. Latimer was a preacher, and uh, Latimer was called to preach to Henry VIII, about as evil as they get. And a herald rang out as Latimer was going to preach, and the herald said this, Latimer, Latimer, be careful, be careful before whom you speak. He's Henry VIII, and he can put you to the fire. But Latimer, Latimer, be careful before whom you speak. He is the God of heaven, and he can cast you in eternal hell. He was reminding Latimer, listen, there's only one person you need to be worried about, and it's not Henry VIII. It's God. That's the preacher. Well, look at verse 3. Verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. This is the necessity. This is why, this is why the preacher has to preach the word with authority and, and, and reprove regardless of the response. Why? Because Paul tells Timothy there's coming a time where, where, when people won't want their souls challenged. They won't endure, meaning they won't put up with the preacher who challenges them and calls them to the standard of, of God's word. They just want to be stroked that instead of changing their lives to the standard of God's word, guess what they'll do? They'll just change preachers. They'll find preachers who will trim the sails and change the message to accommodate their sinful lives. And that's a great danger to trim the sails to gain an audience so you just accommodate the sinfulness of man. Paul says, Timothy, verse five, but you, not you, you be sober in all things. The, Lord, the world's gonna lose its head, but not you. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And I imagine Timothy thinking, well, what does that look like? And you know what Paul does? He gives him an example. What's the example he's gonna give him? His own life. Paul's gonna say, you, know what, you wanna know what this looks like? Paul's looking back over his 25-year ministry, and he's saying, I'll tell you what it looks like. And he calls him to persevere. The first thing is preach the word. The second thing, a biblical preacher's gotta persevere. He calls him to perseverance. Look at verses six and seven. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Paul says to Timothy, fulfill your ministry. What does it look like? Here it is. If you're gonna fulfill your ministry, you gotta persevere. The biblical preacher has to be a finisher. You know, when I started out in ministry, man, I'd find these young guys, these great orators, these great preachers. I mean, man, that's so awesome. They were kind of my heroes. I looked up to these guys. And the longer I go in ministry, the more I realize those aren't the heroes. Some of those guys are just flashes in the pan. You know what I've realized who the, the real heroes are? It's the men who have been faithfully preaching the word of God. You probably don't know their names. Their name's not on a, they're not invited to the conferences. They haven't written 10 books. But they have stood in a pulpit and faithfully declared the word of God and they go all the way to the finish. They make it to the end. It's kind of like a marathon. Everybody go, looks good at the start, don't they? Oh, they're spry. They all look good. They got the right clothes on. Check them at the end. And my grandfather ran marathons. If you saw him... He's a little pudgy guy. Jeff McCracken was here in the first service. He, he used to run 
uh, marathons and races with my grandfather. My grandfather, you would never have thought he was a runner. He didn't look like the runner. But I'll tell you what, he was a finisher. And if there's one thing he taught me, it's Chad, be a finisher. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. You be faithful. That's what Paul is calling Timothy to. How do you be a finisher? Well, he tells him, if you're gonna be a finisher, you have to see yourself as a sacrifice. Paul says, Timothy, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. When you would pour out a drink offering, the Old Testament sacrifice, you'd pour out a jug of water or wine, and it was symbolically demonstrating that you were completely poured out. Uh, Paul says, if you want to make it to the end, if you want to be faithful, you got to pour all of yourself. you got to go all in. you got to lay it all on the line. Not only do you have to see yourself as a sacrifice, you've got to see yourself as a soldier. He says, the time of my departure has come. Departure is a military term. It was used of a soldier who had fought a long time in battle. And, and at the end of that time, when, when the king would call him home, he'd pull up the tent stakes and he would go home. That's how Paul sees himself, as just a soldier. In fact, that's how he sees death. It's just a departure. He sees himself as a soldier. I'm just faithfully serving the Lord wherever he wants to call me. My life is not my own. I am just an infantry man in God's army. I go wherever he wants me to go. I do whatever he wants me to do. And I don't go home till he tells me. But when he calls me home, I depart. You know, it's so interesting to me. You get young men in ministry, they'll say, well, you know, I'm serving over here, but my real goal is one day I really want to have this ministry down in Florida because I've been hoping for Fort Lauderdale and I'd really like to get down there. Listen, that's not the way it works. Do guys enlist in the military and go to the general and say, hey, you know, I like what you're doing, but I'm eventually, I want to be positioned over here. No, you join the military, you enlist, and there's only one who gives you orders and you do what he says or you're disqualified. The faithful biblical preacher just goes where God tells him to go, does what God tells him to do. He's a soldier. He serves faithfully, and then when the time comes, he departs. The time of my departure has come. He says, I fought the good fight, meaning this is a noble cause. There's no more noble task than giving your life to Christ. The overwhelming to me, the overwhelming aspect of the gospel is number one, that God would save me, but number two, that he would call me into a purpose that's bigger than myself. That's the joy of, of life is living for the eternal glory of Christ. Everybody's looking for something to give their life to. Can I tell you, Paul found the one thing that was worthy of giving all of his life to, and it was Jesus Christ. You want to find joy? Enlist yourself into Christ's army and fight the good fight of faith. He says, I've finished the course. I've done what God told me I, I should do. Ananias went to him and says, you're going to preach before the Gentiles. He fulfilled that calling. And then what does he say? I've kept the faith. If there's one thing you notice about Paul, he didn't really care what happened to him, but he did care what happened to the gospel. His life was being poured out. But the one thing, the one thing I care about is guarding and keeping the faith so that it goes on to the next generation. That's the whole aspect of this. He's dying. History tells us he's about to be martyred. He has nothing. But he has done his work and he's handing it off to Timothy. Can't you see this? A powerful picture. Timothy, now it's yours. I'm passing the baton. Now you got the job. 
And you got to guard it and you got to keep that gospel ministry and then you pass it on to faithful men who will teach others also. Listen, in our generation, that's our job to keep the faith, to guard the gospel. See, we don't just preach the gospel, we got to guard the gospel because if we don't guard the purity of the gospel, there won't be a gospel to evangelize in the next generation. The Paul said, boy, we guard this with our life. The purity of the gospel. The biblical preacher perseveres. Then finally, he keeps his eye on the prize. Very quickly, look at verse eight. In the future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but all, to also to all who love his appearing. Paul's life to the visible eye looks like a failure. He's been rejected by his own people, the Jewish people. He's lost everything for Christ. Here he is at the end of his life. He'll go on to tell Timothy. I mean, he's in a prison cell, probably nothing more than a hole in the ground. He tells Timothy, bring my, it's getting winter, bring my cloak and some books. He has nothing. To the visible eye, he's a failure. But to the invisible eye, he's looking to the prize. Does that remind you of somebody who went to death and had nothing, they rolled dice for everything he had. And what did the author of Hebrews said? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You and I, listen, the biblical preacher, you and I as believers, the world may say those folks don't have nothing. You know what we see? We see what the world can't see. That as Paul told the Corinthians, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Isn't it interesting? Paul's the guy who um, got a glimpse of heaven, didn't he? He got to see a little glimpse of heaven. And he was the guy God had to put a thorn in his flesh to keep him from being prideful, what he saw. But you remember Paul's the guy who you just read his life and he was looking forward to death. How many of you today are saying, boy, I can't wait to die? Paul said to the Philippians, for me to live is Christ to die. I desire to depart, which is very much better, but I guess I gotta stay here for your sake. That's what he's saying. Listen, I think if you and I got a glimpse of heaven, we'd all be jumping out in front of cars. But that's our responsibility. We, we live faithfully in this earth, and listen, we may not have much. We may give all of ourselves. We may pour out everything in the world's eyes. We may be failures, but listen, if we've been faithful to Christ, there's an eternal treasure waiting for us one day. And what is, the, what is the real prize that Paul was looking forward to? He says, there's a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me. You know what I think Paul was really looking forward to? Was the day when he would meet Christ and Christ would say to him, well done, good and faithful servant. And isn't that what all of us long to hear? The aspiration of our lives is that we would present ourselves before Christ and receive a personal commendation for him. The biblical job description for the preacher, preach the word, persevere, remember the prize. It's good for all of us. If you're here today, you know Christ, listen to me. Preach the word. Live the word. Preach the word. Be ready. Your job, if you know Christ today, I don't know what else you do. If you're an electrician, a lawyer, a teacher, your ultimate mission is to make disciples and to be Christ's witness. You have a responsibility to be ready whenever to tell people about the hope that lies within you, which is the gospel. Do you know how to share the gospel? You should. 
Preach the word. Be ready. Whenever God calls you, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school, preach the word. Persevere. Is it going to be hard? We're swimming upstream. Listen, we're living in a culture that's so adverse to the things of God. we got to persevere. Hardship. Do the work of evangelism. Fulfill your ministry that God has called you to. But always keep your eye to the prize. No matter how bad it gets, you keep one eye to heaven. If you're here this morning, you don't know Christ, listen to me. I don't know what else you're living for. But you are made for eternity, and eternal beings will never be satisfied with the things of earth. They will never satisfy. It will never be enough. If the things of this earth could truly satisfy, Tom Brady would be the happiest man in the world. Hollywood would be the most joyful place, the most peaceful place on the world if money and stuff could fulfill. Can I tell you, it'll never fulfill. You want real joy, you want real happiness, consider Christ. Consider what he did for you on the cross. Recognize your sin. Turn to him as your only hope of salvation, and then guess what he'll do? He'll say, get in the game, and you get to participate in the greatest mission You know what else you get to participate in a mission that will not fail? Do you know what I know this week? This is the joy we have. I'm praying. I'm hoping. But listen, regardless of what happens Tuesday, I ain't going to get discouraged because I know how this deal ends. We win, ultimately. I promise you, we went out. We read Revelation, didn't we? We know how this deal ends. We win because Christ won. We fix our hope on him. Well, do we have a hymn today? No. (laughs) Don't throw rocks. I don't have a hymn, but I got a poem. All right, hopefully this will suffice. It's a poem, I've used it before. You may have heard it before, but it's one of my favorites. I keep it in front of me often. such an encouragement. It's by a man named B.J. Morbitzer. B.J. Morbitzer, it's called I Am a Soldier. Listen to what he wrote. It's a good reminder of this passage. I am a soldier in the army of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is my commanding officer. The Holy Bible is my code of conduct. Faith, prayer, and the word are my weapons of warfare. I have been taught by the Holy Spirit, trained by experience, tried by adversity, and tested by fire. I'm a volunteer in this army, and I'm enlisted for eternity. I will either retire in this army at the rapture or die in this army, but I will not get out, sell out, be talked out, or push out. I am faithful, reliable, capable, and dependable. If my God needs me, I am there. If he needs me in the Sunday school to teach the children, work with the youth, or just help adults, or just sit and learn, he can use me because I am there. I am a soldier. I'm not a baby. I don't need to be pampered, petted, primed up, pumped up, picked up, or pepped up. I am a soldier. No one has to call me, remind me, write me, visit me, entice me, or lure me. I am a soldier. I am not a wimp. I'm in my place, saluting my king, obeying his orders, praising his name, and building his kingdom. No one has to send me flowers, gifts, food, cards, candy, or give me handouts. I do not need to be cuddled, cradled, cared for or catered to, I am committed. I cannot have my feelings hurt bad enough to turn me around. I cannot be discouraged enough to turn me aside. I cannot lose enough to cause me to quit. When Christ called me into this army, I had nothing. If I end up with nothing, I'll still come out ahead. I will win. My God has and will continue to supply all of my need. I am more than a conqueror. 
I will always triumph. I can do all things through Christ. The devil cannot defeat me. People cannot disillusion me. Weather cannot weary me. Sickness cannot stop me. Battles cannot beat me. Money cannot buy me. Governments cannot silence me. And hell can't handle me. I'm a soldier. Even death cannot destroy me. For when my commander calls me from this battlefield, he'll promote me to captain and then allow me to rule with him. I am a soldier in the army. I'm marching, claiming victory. I will not give up. I will not run around. I'm a soldier marching heaven bound. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning that reminds us really of all of our callings. If we know you as our personal Lord and Savior, we've enlisted in an army and all have given been given this responsibility of preaching your word, testifying to your truth. God, I pray that in this endeavor we would persevere. We would never give up. Regardless of the headwinds, we may lose some battles here and there. For we know ultimately we'll win this war because you won. Help us to persevere. Help us to keep our eye on the prize. Make it our goal and our soul's ambition to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, I pray that you would reveal to them the depth of their own sin. I pray that they'd see the glory and the beauty of their Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for their sins, and they would come to know you. They'd run to you. They'd repent of their sins and trust in Christ. And then they, too, would volunteer, enlist in this great army, in this great endeavor, this great mission that's bigger than themselves to win a prize that's far greater than they can imagine. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.